As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 220 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I'm joined by Jill. How's it going? I'm having technical difficulties. <laughs> First off, we're out of the teens, so no more awkward numbering when one of us like, two, 18, oh, I yeah. don't know. Um, yeah, episode uh, 220. 220. You good on your technical difficulties? I think so. I had it was just like nothing was no, you and I both supposed to. And then Christina was at the microphone yesterday, and she talks really cla- well, quiet. So I like turned all the way up, and then you start. I was like, "Oh, that was yeah. that face I made." <laughs> yeah, I um, we told last last episode, which was uh, Thursday. If you listened in to our summer reading program one, yeah. Anytime we have different people on, where I'm starting this thing now, where I'm reminding them like stay close to the microphone because we've had a few people tell us like when you have other guests on. They're far away from the microphone, and it is, that's admittedly, a few times we've been, like, kind of, I didn't want to, like, tell our friends, hey, get close to the microphone, but I'm putting down the strong, strong arm, and I'm not. Well, you saw me, I pushed the microphone towards her when we were in. <laughs> you really did. You just, like, shoved it I in her face. shoved it in her face. <laughs> yeah. And we, you know, you and I, we take it for granted. You and I are used to doing this, so mm-hmm. we, we know to sit closer. Oh, you're absolutely right. So, that makes sense why you were. Giving me that face. Thing. That was that okay. face. That was not you. It was just the sound. Yeah. Um, okay. Do we want to share our news first or do you want to talk about the episode first? <laughs> I can't make decisions. This early All right. I'm going to. Okay. You haven't had coffee. Okay. I. So <laughs> every time we've had an episode over the past several hundred, we've told people that if they want to get a hold of us, they can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds or you can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. That's all still true, but you guys, if you just want to get in contact with us and see all the amazing things we've been doing over the past couple years, go to professionalbooknerds.com. We have a website. We have a new, shiny new website, and everything in there is searchable. Uh, You're able to see all the episodes we've ever done. One of the things that I think people don't realize is when you go onto iTunes, iTunes only shows you the most recent 100 episodes of a podcast. So we will have we have an archive in there with all of our episodes. And if you just want to search for something like science fiction, it'll show you only the science fiction episodes you've ever done. Um, you will find images from all the places we've gone. Um, there's a video gallery in there that we're going to be adding a bunch of really fun videos to with some of our coworkers. There are going to be polls on there that are going to be frequently updated so you can kind of partake in the show and tell us what you want to hear right because i think the current one is what we should 
Yeah, the current poll, the first... Like, genre, like, subjects we should talk about, which is... Because we never... Like, what do you want to hear us talk about? Like, what types of books or whatever? Yeah, so right now there's a poll on there at the very bottom that'll show you um, a bunch of different genres you can uh, decide which ones you'd like to hear. Um, Most importantly, from my standpoint, there's a subscribe button on there. So no matter how you listen to us, um, iTunes, Stitcher... Uh, iHeartRadio, anything you use for your podcast, there is a link at the very top, really easy, um, that you can subscribe. There's a contact us, uh, so you can shoot us emails, ask us questions, get book recommendations. I do. Along with that, for, you know, we know it's not just, um, readers and librarians to listen some of our publisher friends listen as well so if we have publisher friends who are always curious to know how to get their authors on the podcast there's information for that as well yes um so the it just launched one of our incredible designers built it from scratch for us and thanks ashley thank you ashley hope you listen in because you deserve it since you categorized and archived all 220 episodes of the podcast pretty magical making this yeah. website um but if you guys would all take like a minute or two and just go to the website when you hear this poke around and honestly shoot us an email tell us what you want on there um we can add stuff where i have kicked around the idea i told jill of like maybe in the future she or i writing kind of like a little bit longer form articles similar to like blogs that we do for our librarians um anything you guys would want on there like i said we're gonna have a a video series that i think is gonna be really cool so anything you want to hear from us or in the book world whatever you would like more of let us know i'm very excited about this me too so um, again professionalbooknerds.com i think if you search like dot org and dot net and all that stuff i think it comes i think it redirects as well because i think our it team just bought them all (laughs) um and the I don't want to give it away. I want you guys to go look at it. But the hero image on it is adorable. It is. It's really awesome. So excited. So that's the big news. But also big news. This is an awesome episode. Yes. So today's episode is an interview I did with Paula McLean, uh, which is sort of funny because I did it at um, midwinter. So we are in our booth. So there is a little bit of background noise. But we were in Denver. And Paula is also a Clevelander. Yet I had to go to Denver to interview her, which is just so funny. We have been... This is a plan words for one of her title names. We have been circling her for she has a book called Circling the Sun, I believe. Isn't that she right? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh we've been circling her for like honestly almost two years. Like trying to track it's been her down. A long time to get her on um on the podcast. Yeah, so she wrote the the one she's probably most well known for is The Paris Wife, which was about um Ernest Hemingway's uh wife. And uh, Ernest, however, had lots of wives, and so her new book, Love and Ruin, is um, about one of his later marriages um, to uh, Martha Gellhorn, which, I, I, you know, when talking in this interview with Paula, she went into great detail about all the things that Martha did. She was a war correspondent as a woman, which was kind of a big deal back, you know, in the um, 30s. She was a war correspondent, a war reporter, and she continued doing it well into her, like, 70s or 80s, which is just mind-blowing to me. So, yeah, this is um, all more about Ernest Hemingway, you know, 
Paula says that after she wrote The Paris Wife, she said she was never going to write Hemingway again. And so how this book came to be is is something she talks about in the podcast. Um, it was a really fun conversation. The book's really good because it's Paula McLean and she's an incredible writer. And sort of just learning about this woman behind you know, Ernest Hemingway that deserves a lot of notoriety on her own, but doesn't always seem to get it. So she does a really good job of, of this. Um, it's something that uh, like Marie Benedict does this too. Like I think Paula McLean does an awesome job of finding women in history who have not gotten their, their proper due. due. Yeah, and we talk about that too. Yeah. Um, Farrah Markham was another one that's from Circling the Sun. Um, I'll be at, so Jill and I, as you guys know, we do a fair amount of interviews together, but then we also do a bunch of them separately just for scheduling, and it's easier for one of us to travel and not the other one. Um, and I think most times we are very polite and sweet to each other and saying, like, oh, that's so, I'm so excited for you. This one, I was je- I had FOMO. I was jealous of this one. Every once in a while, there are ones where I get super jealous and uh, of, of people Adam gets to interview. Yeah. So. It was one of those where you Jill showed me her list for ALA. I was like, no, Paula McLean. I mean, cool. She's gonna be on the podcast, but oh man, I want to meet her. Well, she's here. We should we should just have her come. Just track her down. Yeah. yeah. Do a video with her on our new <gasps> on our new website, professionalbookings We should. Yeah. Um. Cool. That I yeah I this I'm excited to listen to this interview. Um. I already told you guys how you can get a hold of us if you want to go to professionalbookings.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter. And email us. All that is on professionalbookdoors.com. Yeah, it is. Um, are there other things you think people should know about Jill? It's April 19th, the time of recording, and it's snowing again today. <laughs> I'm sure they really want to hear all about I know, I just, regional weather talk. I'm just so angry. <laughs> I'm so angry about this. Ah, nothing else? I don't think so. Okay. Well... I hope you guys truly enjoy this interview with Paula McLean on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. And go check out our website. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. This is Jill, and with me today is author Paula McLean, the New York Times bestselling author of The Paris Wife and Circling the Sun. Her latest book, Love and Ruin, is out May 1st. Paula, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm delighted. So can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Love and Ruin? Absolutely. So Love and Ruin really follows the story of Martha Gellhorn, who was Ernest Hemingway's third wife, but more than that, a pioneering journalist as well as one of the greatest war correspondents of the 20th century. A total and utter badass. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I've, I started, uh, re- been reading the book, and i just fascinated by the, by the idea of her going off to Spain and, like, into war all by herself. And it's So just... she met Hemingway when she was 28 years old, literally by walking into him in a bar in Key West, <laughs> and he was her literary hero. Mm-hmm. And the timing was just right, so things were heating up in Spain, Franco... Um, had besieged Madrid, and so she follows him off to the Spanish Civil War. At that point, she was barely a journalist and really didn't kind of know what she was doing. 
but more and more began to find her voice and her vision as a writer, as well as to become hopelessly enmeshed with Spain and the plight of Spain, and hopelessly involved with Hemingway, who was already now by then the most famous writer in the world, as well as Mary. Right. So maybe not the best idea. (laughs) Not the best. (laughs) But she couldn't really help him, you know, help herself. Right. Yeah. Uh, I know on the back of the book you talk about how you didn't plan on writing about Hemingway again, and then you dreamed about him? So, in fact, I was emphatic that I would never write about Hemingway again. It's so funny, because my editor came to me, you know, the Paris Wife was like this phenomenal, kind of almost fluky success. It came out of nowhere. I had never done historical fiction before, so all of it was kind of knocked me sideways. And my editor at Random House came to me and said, you know, it would be amazing after this if you would write about all the wives. And I said, um, no way. No way would I ever do that. That I would be that crazy writer who could only write about Hemingway. Right. And I also just, I just couldn't imagine, like, that being my career. Like, that couldn't be the way that it would go. Right. So I said no, and I sort of started researching other historical subjects. I wrote this book, Circling the Sun, about the life of pioneering aviator and racehorse trainer Beryl Markham, who grew up in Africa. And well, I was really ready to move on. So just a few years ago, I was researching another potential subject for another historical novel, and I had the freakiest dream <laughs> that was so prophetic, I had to pay attention to it. So in the dream, I'm on uh, Hemingway's boat. It's called the Pilar. And he had it for like 26 years. And it was, some people say it was the great love of his life. Right. And we were in the Gulf Stream fishing. And he was like all tan and up on the flying bridge, like looking pretty good. Right, right. As he could. And um, I noticed there was a, another woman on the boat. And she was facing away from me, looking out to sea. And as I was watching, this marlin comes cresting up out of the you know out of the ocean and it twists and it, the water droplets go flying off of its fins and it's one of those moments where time stops mm-hmm. and the woman reaches out and she puts a piece of bait in the fish's mouth and then it lands back in the water the boat turns around it goes taking off the boat goes whipping after the fish and i think what kind of woman hand feeds a marlin right right and then she turned around and it was martha galhorn and I woke up in a breathless state and thought, what was that? And then I Googled her over coffee the next morning and was absolutely embarrassed that I really only knew her as his third, third wife. wife. I wasn't yeah. aware of her accomplishments, that she was this pioneering journalist, that she gave voice to the voiceless. I mean, she was 28 when mm-hmm. she took on her first war and almost 80 when she took on her last. She authored 14 books, right? She traveled to almost 60 countries. She was unstoppable, this utter incandescent force of nature, and I didn't know who she was. It's incredible. It is incredible. Dreams are so interesting like that. Dreams are so interesting, and I honestly felt that it would be sort of like psychically dangerous if I said no to the dream. Right. So the dream really led me to explore her life. And the more I began to research her, the more I started to realize that it's kind of beside the point that she was married to Hemingway. Right. Not that he's incidental in this book. Absolutely not. And not that he's less fascinating to me than he ever was. <laughs> in fact, he's I find him 
impossible to look away from. Right, kind of I like agree. a train wreck, mm -hmm. really. And he's possibly one of the most complicated people who ever lived. But in this book, it was really her I fell in love with. Right. Then her I came to admire kind of more and more, particularly in the way, if you really think about it, not only does she discover her voice and vision as a storyteller and have to overcome all of these incredible obstacles to be a woman at the front lines right, right. of war. Almost no women did that mm -hmm. at the time. It was right. such an unexpected career for her. But she did it alongside one of the most virile no. and celebrated writers in the yes. world. Like mm -hmm. the, having to hold on to her identity, right? Having to hold on to her conviction and to stick to her guns. When really what he wanted her to do was take care of him. Right. And stay home and be a housewife and make his life better. But she had to follow her own course. And that was really where they began to knock heads. And the love story is this super complicated, turbulent, kind of stormy. They remind me of like Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn in those mm -hmm. old movies. They can't live with each other. They can't live without each other. She's a far, far different person than Hadley was. If you've read The Paris right. Wife, you know that Hadley is this incredible sort of help meet to Hemingway. She's his best friend. She's his muse. She's the mother of his child and, and this woman of incredible substance. But Martha is a woman of nerve. Right. 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 She's a firecracker and she follows her guts, you know, even mm -hmm. when they get her in trouble. And she gets in trouble a lot. So I think it's interesting that you said that, um, before, all you really knew about her was that she was his third wife, and then you found out, obviously, she has her own accomplishments, and there seems to be a trend in fiction now about just that subject, about taking these women who kind of are known to stand behind these Who have very, been eclipsed somewhere along the way. Right, or who by like their partners or their husbands or whatever. And I think it's a really important trend that we are seeing in fiction because I think there's a lot of women who have been eclipsed or forgotten. And then fiction allows us to kind of explore that in our own ways. Yeah, it's an opportunity to sort of shine a light, right, on this moment... For whatever reason, these women have been forgotten. And, and it's doubly ironic in Martha Gellhorn's case, because when they separated in 1945, and she's the only one of his four wives to leave him instead of the other right. way around. But after they separated in 1945, she wouldn't let his name be mentioned in her presence. Good for her. Because she refused, <laughs> in her own words... She refused to become a footnote in somebody else's life. Mm -hmm. But that's exactly what what's happened. happened. And to me, it's like this incredible shame. And it's an error. Like, history has wronged her. Mm -hmm. But I feel like now I've been given an opportunity to rectify that. Right. To rectify that and to sort of show and dramatize what an incredible woman she was, to offer her up as a model. For all sorts of women Absolutely. who are desperate for a hero, right? Yeah. I read something recently. It's like what pissed off women want to read now is that we can survive anything. Right. I 
Yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is historical fiction. It's a dramatization, and you did that with your other books. And wh what is that like for you as a writer, taking these very well-known people and putting that historical fiction spin on it? You mean sort of like what's the like balance what's, your cost? what's the balance? Back to yes. What's the balance? And how it's do I start? Mm -hmm. Mostly, I start from pure instinct, or in this case, a dream, like totally subconscious. I didn't really know what I was going to find when I went looking for her. And what I'm reading for is I start to research. Like I go to biographies. I read all of her letters. I went through sort of archival material, photographs. I started rereading Hemingway again. I started reading her fiction her essays, mm -hmm. her memoir travels with myself and another, which is extraordinary if you've not read it, the most beloved of her 14 books. But what I'm looking for is a sizzle, right? A way um, kind of into the larger story. She lived for almost 87 years. Like, which piece of her life was I going to write about? Right. And where was I going to zoom in? What did I want to dramatize? And what did I want to sort of leave behind? What gets bigger? and what gets smaller, and how do I connect to her story. So all of that is really done by instinct. I knew I wanted to be at the Spanish Civil War because mm -hmm. it's a time in our history that's really quite shadowy for us. Agreed. And because it was her first war, and it definitely knocked her sideways and set the course for the rest of her life. So she is the one, after Spain fell, and Hemingway went to Cuba to begin his masterwork um, for whom the bell tolls. She follows him there. He's living in squalor in a hotel, and she tells him that she didn't sort of come halfway around the world to be his mistress right. in a pigsty. And she went looking for a house, a home, a place to belong, um, a beautiful foxhole to hide out from the way the world is falling apart. And she finds this uh, 19th century, 1500, no, sorry, 15 acre sort of. Um, derelict estate called the Finca Vigia, and it's famous. You know? mm -hmm. So this is the house that later became his primary residence for like 21 years, but she's the one who found that house oh. and then undertook all of the repairs on her own dime because she was ready to dig in, and she really wanted to have it all. She wanted for them to be two writers under one roof, for them to tend each other's books like children. Right. Right? Yeah. She wanted her work. She wanted this great love. She wanted to support him, but be supported in exchange. And I think what surprised her along the way is how tricky it is to try to have it all. Right. And that... And that and Especially with Hemingway, who's such a strong person, you know, a, how do you... <laughs> He's a neutron star. <laughs> yes. He takes over everything. <laughs> and when For Whom the Bell Told landed, it was a runaway bestseller which sold more copies than any other book on record except for Gone with the Wind. So if he was famous before, right. now he was absolutely unstoppable. Yeah. They had no privacy. They were hangers on wherever they went. So she's trying to establish her career. She's trying to write a novel, too. Her work is disappearing into the void. Not as well reviewed, if it's reviewed at all. Sort of, She's wondering where her time is. Right. Like where are her accolades? Like, where's her time? And how would she, how would she find it while also 
following him to all these places and rubbing elbows with movie stars in Sun Valley, having lunch with Ingrid Bergman, who wants to star in For Whom the Bell Tolls, Gary Cooper. Like, it's this whole glamorous world, but she's not writing. Right. So you mentioned at the beginning that after The Paris Wife came out, your editor asked if you would consider writing about all of Hemingway's wives. You have two so far. I mean, are there... <laughs> I'm going to have to ask. Oh, hell no. We said that before, though. I so. know, I have said. Never say never. <laughs> never right? say never. Never say never. <laughs> never say never. Um, so I take it then you would never write about Hemingway himself? I don't think so. Although in The Paris Wife, part of my research... You know, you asked that question a moment ago, like, how do I find my way into the material and sort of, like, running through this really intricate balance between fact and fiction. And I found myself getting to these moments in The Paris Wife where I really didn't understand his character and his motivations. Like, how, when he had the great love of his right. life, like, how did he betray her and how did that even happen and what was he thinking? And so I began to write these little vignettes from his point of view, but in the third person. Really, it was almost like a creative writing exercise and an exercise in empathy to get closer and closer to his character, his mindset, his worldview, and his soul Right. in these tricky moments, right, where he's on the verge of betraying Kathy. So when I started to write Love and Ruin, it was quite natural for me to begin to imagine how Hemingway's voice and consciousness would also climb into this book. This is Martha's book mm -hmm. in the same way that The Paris Wife is Hadley's right. book. And yet, there is never just one side of any story. And I also thought, if this is the last time I write about him, and think about it, Jill, like... This guy has changed my life. Right. Yeah. And how fluky is that? How windfall is that? Right? Right. That 10 years ago, I read A Movable Feast, which is his autobiographical account of his literary rise to start in Paris, right? And just had this idea, what if, what if we got a movable feast from Hadden's point? I had this random idea, and yet I didn't turn away from it, even though I'd never read his, you know, wrote historical fiction. I didn't read historical fiction. Right. I had never been to Paris. I couldn't afford to go to Paris. I lived in Cleveland, and I had, like, three young kids and three part-time jobs and a mortgage and, you know, a buck fifty in my savings account. Yeah. And I wasn't going to go to Paris. I had to imagine it. Like, I had to invent it. So here he is. He comes along. He changes my life, he changes my career trajectory. I thought, if this is the last moment that I have to really be with him and be with his consciousness, what does he have to say to me? Mm -hmm. And what does he have to say to all of us about his experience? So you mentioned that you had never read or written historical fiction prior to The Paris Wife. Um, I believe your first book was a memoir. Was that, is that correct? Yeah, so my first published book was, it's called Like Family, Growing Up in Other People's Houses, and it's the story of my growing up in foster care. So from the time I was four years old until I aged out of the system at age 18, I was in foster care with my two sisters in California. So what was the transition then like for you from switch writing about your own life to, to 
Which, so, I, mean, I mean, all of it was crazy. I went to graduate school in the 1990s at the University of Michigan to study poetry, which, as you know, is the fastest way to get rich and famous. Yes, right? exactly. Totally, totally practical career as a poet. Sure. Um, and then I started working on this memoir. And then I decided after that book was finished that what I really wanted to do was write a novel. And I had never studied the writing of fiction. I had never done any of that. But I had read about a bajillion novels myself right. <laughs> as a lifelong reader. And I thought, how hard could it be? <laughs> not easy. It's, it's not easy. And it's really not easy when you have little kids at home. Right. So it took me five years to write my first novel because I had an hour a day. My husband worked all the time. I had these little kids, and I would walk up to the library near my house in Cleveland Heights, and I would just fall into this story. Um, these characters felt so real to me, but I was teaching myself how to write a novel as I was doing it. It took an extraordinary amount of time. So that book is called A Ticket to Ride, and it's really a contemporary novel. and has nothing to do with the rest of my work, right? But when I had the idea for The Paris Wife, when this... Right which was basically like being struck by lightning, right? I just thought, I can't take five years to write this book. I'll self-combust. Like, I really will kill myself if it takes me five right. years because it immediately obsessed me. I just, all I wanted to do. So I went to my husband, God bless him, and I said, I'm going to die. This I don't spit this book out immediately. And he said, we're going to find a way to make it, to make it work. And so we went to his mother and borrowed money so that I could quit my jobs, three of them. And this was 2008, which was a really tricky time for the Indeed, economy. But yeah. And sit in a Starbucks near my house in Cleveland every day and write. And although a Starbucks in Cleveland is really not a Parisian cafe, <laughs> like by any stretch of the imagination, in a way, I was doing exactly what Hemingway did as a young man, which was to privilege that more than anything else, my work and my craft, and to go all in as a writer and just see what happens. That's incredible. It is sort of incredible. <laughs> so now that you've you know, written... Three of these three, things. Yes, yeah. like three historical fiction pieces about very influential women. Do you sort of see yourself continuing to write these types of novels? I'm not sure what will happen next because I've not had that... The stroke of lightning yet. Stroke of lightning. <laughs> I haven't had the dream that will lead me there. I haven't had that aha moment. So I like to think that it's out there. Okay. And that all I really have to do is be awake when it comes along. But more and more, I find that I'm only interested in the lives of women, mm -hmm. and particularly women who are subjects of their own lives, yep. right? Who set their own course, who chart their own destiny, who live unconventionally no matter what it costs them, and who can survive anything and everything and kind of become themselves along the way. So whatever I do next, I wouldn't be surprised if a woman is at the center and if she's a badass. Yeah. Sounds good to me. I look forward to it. Thanks, so at the end of every interview, we do what we call the nerd nine, which Ooh. are nine. Um, don't put too much thought into these questions. Okay. Uh, what was the last book you finished reading? 
Last book I finished is uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. I've never read him before. I've, yeah, he's good. I was on Christmas holiday and on a beach, and I would only let myself read two pages at a time, and then I would look out at the surf digesting it because of the density of his lyricism, the humanity in his works. The Ocean at the End of the Lane is really a grown-up fairy tale, and it's so beautiful, it will make you weep. Yeah, he's, he's a wonderful writer. Do you have a, a, what is your favorite book of all time? Maybe My Antonia by Willa Cather. I really like frontier stories. Okay. I always loved like, all the little house books when I was a kid. If you've not read it, um, it's set in Nebraska, sort of uh, on the western frontier in the 19th century, and is about a friendship between a young man and an immigrant girl named Antonia, and how their connection, the intensity of their connection, changes his life forever. Your favorite place to read? favorite place to read in bed at night when my children are asleep because it feels like stolen time. I love it. What is one place you would like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Greece. Oh, that's a good answer. Yeah, right? Where mythology yeah. right, came alive and probably still could if I yeah. were looking for it. What is your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Because it's all about food. <laughs> Most people say Thanksgiving because of family, but yes, the food is part of it too. Uh, cats or dogs? Both, but dogs on top. Okay. Are you a coffee or tea drinker? Both, but coffee on top. Okay. Favorite food? Pasta. Particularly right now since I'm not eating it because I'm trying to be healthy and it's, I dream about it. Like It's really all I want, pasta and bread. And if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Ernest Hemingway. I had a feeling that would be your answer. <laughs> Paula, thank you so much for coming Thanks, on the podcast. It was really fun talking to you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.